Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special dedication on the Powerbomb Nation. Tonight, we come to you with a heavy heart as we mourn the loss of uh, Dale Wilkes, the Patriot, has uh, passed away today. And uh, so we're going to dedicate this show to him uh, and celebrate his life and his career and all the accomplishments he put together in life. Uh, Dale was a fantastic individual. I had the pleasure and absolute honor to speak with him at length. Uh, we talked about his upbringing, his days in college, uh, breaking into the wrestling business, winning multiple championships, and uh, also about him uh, pounding the car lot a little bit. Uh, me and Dale shared a lot in common. Uh, we had a great talk, and I'm uh, proud to have called him a friend. Uh, so, what we're going to do in honor of the Patriot tonight is we're going to play his interview uh, that we done a while back in his honor, and uh, it is my absolute pleasure to bring to you all a true legend uh, in life. Ladies and gentlemen, a true legend in life. Here's our interview with Dale Wilkes, better known as The Patriot. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am here with a very special guest tonight. Our, our guest is the legend, The Patriot, Dale Wilkes. Dale, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good. How are you doing today? Oh, not bad. Enjoying another wonderful Sunday full of, full of some football. Yeah, yeah, I love this time of year. I love Saturdays with college football and, of course, Sundays with pro football. Best time of year. Absolutely. Did you happen to catch that uh, the Denver-Minnesota game? You know, I caught just the end of it. I had been watching the Cardinals and the Rams, and uh, I saw the Denver and uh, the Minnesota. Uh, I think it was a three-point game, so I flipped over and watched just the last series as uh, Minnesota was trying to get in field goal position. Yeah, it was it was an exciting game. Of course, you know my Broncos pulled it out, so I was always thrilled to see that. <laughs> well, they're four and zero. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sure are. So, who's, who's your team in the NFL? You know, I really don't have one. Uh, for some reason, as a little boy growing up in Columbia, South Carolina, I was a huge Los Angeles Rams fan, and this was back when it was the blue and white. Uh, uniforms that Roman Gabriel, Merlin Olson, Jack Snow days. And, uh, but as I got older and, and gravitated more towards college football, I still enjoyed following pro football, but I really don't have a favorite team. I, I just, I tell what I do. Uh, I get that, uh, that NFL package on direct TV, and that way I can watch every NFL game on Sundays. And what I do is I watch former Gamecocks. Uh, of course, I played for South Carolina and South Carolina fans, so my Sunday viewing is typically centered around uh, the games for former Gamecocks are playing. So uh, that's what I enjoy doing with NFL football. Right on. That's that's a, that's a good deal right there. I would love to have the uh, the whole package and everything, but we got cable, and uh, of course they don't offer that. I'm waiting for them to offer some kind of subscription on your phone or over the internet or something. Sure, I'm sure that eventually will. So now, uh, Dale, you got a uh, you got a DVD, and and the main reason you're here today is to talk about this DVD. It is go go ahead and tell us a little bit about this and where we can pick it up at. Well, it was just released last week. Um, we've been working on it for for close to a year now. Uh, it's called Behind the Mask, Dale the Patriot Wilkes, uh, and it is not only about my career in pro wrestling but also college football, and actually my life in general. It starts out from, from birth, and it goes to where I'm at today and everything in between uh, in those 53 years of life. But certainly most of it does center around pro wrestling uh, in my career uh, while I wrestled and uh, where I started and, and how things ended up and life after that. And uh, we're very excited about it. It was done by Michael Elliott at Elbow Docs and Elbow Productions. And Michael has done yeah, quite a few of these, and he's done great work. And he feels like, and I'm in agreement with him, that this is his best one yet. It's a three-disc set. 
It's a little over two hours of playing time. And uh, you can get into my website, www.delthepatriotwilks.com. And uh, $25 includes the free set DVD or the free DVD set, autographed, the shipping and handling anywhere here in the United States. So delthepatriotwilks.com. Awesome. So I encourage every member of Powerbomb Nation to get out there and uh, check out the DVD. I guarantee you, you're not going to be disappointed. Uh, I was a big fan of the Patriot back in the day when, when he was going against Bret Hart in the WWE. He's a solid worker, and I'm sure that tons and tons of life lessons uh, Dell has to share with you are all on the DVD there. So, Dell, what I'd like to do is get started with is, is tell me a little bit about growing up. What was it like? What was it like growing up as you? Well, I've uh, been in South Carolina all my life and just raised in a normal, normal uh, home, Columbia, South Carolina, uh, you know, brother, and, and later on in life, uh, a sister. And uh, been in South Carolina all of our life, with the exception of five years. Uh, when I was 11 years old, my dad moved our family to Georgia. And uh, we stayed there for five years and then moved back to South Carolina. And uh, so been here basically all my life. And um, just had a normal, wonderful childhood like any other kid, any other boy here in the South. Fell in love with pro wrestling, of course. Fell in love with anything that was related to athletics. Any kind of ball that you could kick it, throw it, you know, punch it. Yeah, I loved it and uh, participated in sports uh, at the earliest ages in life and, and just you know wonderful moment southern childhood Awesome, awesome. I, of course, I was born and raised right here in in the bluegrass state of Kentucky. Uh, not, nothing better than a little little uh, southern upbringing. Oh, I think uh, not think I know. I'm, I'm extremely biased. I've I've been very fortunate in my life and, and throughout my career in wrestling uh, to travel the world, and I've been to a lot of wonderful places in the world, a lot of beautiful places, uh, places that uh, just are breathtaking. And the places that I'd still like to go back to again today, and uh, but there's no place like the United States of America. And when we're in America, there's no place like the South. It's the greatest region of any country on the face of the earth. And I'm extremely biased. I feel like I live in the best state in the South. That makes it the best place in the whole wide world, South Carolina. And, of course, I'm sure that you feel Kentucky's that way, but uh, it's blessed to be born in a wonderful, wonderful section of the country. Uh, here in the United States of America. Absolutely. I, I love Kentucky with all my heart and soul, but I, I wouldn't hesitate to pick up a moment, move somewhere like South Carolina or da down on the coast, anywhere I can get some ocean. Uh, that's what Kentucky's liking for me. I need a little ocean in my life. <laughs> yeah, you, guys, you guys are surrounded by land at every border, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. We got a, we got plenty of rivers, but, you know, so it's great fishing and, you know, getting out and enjoy the enjoying the wildlife and everything, but I, I love that sea life and that that air. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing like it. So now, uh, of course, you mentioned born and raised in South Carolina. Uh, now, I'm assuming you grew up a South Carolina Gamecocks fan, correct? I did. Uh, it was pretty easy uh, being in Columbia, South Carolina, which is the capital of our state, but it's also the home of the University of South Carolina. And uh, that seems to be probably the, the two leading uh, Employees, uh, employers in Columbia is, of course, the federal government with our capital being located here, and then the university uh, being located in Columbia. So it seems like most people work for either the federal or the state government or the University of South Carolina. And then growing up in a home uh, where my grandfather uh, taught me at an early, early age about the history of, of Gamecock football. My dad had two brothers that attended and graduated from the University of South Carolina. So it seemed like every, everywhere I turned, everybody I talked to, they just had great knowledge of all things Gamecock. And so it was, uh, you know, it was quite natural that I grew up with Gamecock fan as well. And was given just a wonderful, unique appreciation for, for all.
All right, sorry about the interruption there. We, we had lost the signal. Uh, and Dale, you were, you were talking about growing up a, a South Carolina fan, a Gamecock fan. Now, who were some of your, I'm sure there were a lot of players that came through and a lot of coaches that were big inspirations for you. Who were some of your inspirations growing up? I, um, growing up a Gamecock fan, I um, I don't know that I had actually a single player or a coach uh, that, that really I latched on to. I've always been that way. I've always followed the team more so than I had an individual or, or you know player or coach. But now once I got into the University of South Carolina, uh, I was strongly influenced by a couple of coaches. My first coach at the University of South Carolina was Jim Pauling, and uh, he was probably – and as much as I loved the University of South Carolina and wanted to attend there, I did verbally commit to go to Clemson. Um, and then at the last second, backed out on that commitment and time to play at the University of South Carolina. And I would say that was probably due to Coach Carlin and his influence on me and, and just the way I felt about him. And he was a head coach my first two years. And then my last two years, 83 and 84, uh, Joe Morrison was my head coach. And, uh, of course, again, just like I did with Coach Carl, we brought the world of Coach Morrison, and uh, he had a huge influence on me as well. And um, I was very lucky my freshman year at South Carolina to play with what is still considered one of the greatest college running backs to ever play, a Heisman Trophy winner in George Rogers. So um, that was a special thing, too, to start off my college career in 1980, being able to play with and block for a Heisman Trophy winner not a lot of guys can say that. So I'm very fortunate, very blessed to have George still today as a friend and to have had him as a teammate then. Absolutely. Now, uh, and what years did you did you play for South Carolina again? 1980 through 1984. 1980 through 84. And you all had some really good teams there. Um, now, now, Tell me, of course, playing football, uh, who was, was there anybody that you kind of molded your game after? Well, I was, a, uh, you know, being an offensive lineman, even today when I watch football, uh, I watch the offensive line, and then I, I redirect from there. But the first few seconds of every play, I'm focused in on the offensive line. So I've always enjoyed watching offensive line and play. And um, uh, as a kid in high school, uh, my favorite player uh, was John Hanna. I uh, played at the University of Alabama. Uh, great offensive guard in the College Hall of Fame. He's in the NFL Hall of Fame. Played for the New England, New England Patriots and is considered probably the greatest guard that's ever played the game. And uh, so I enjoyed watching John and tried to pattern myself after John and the way he played. He, was a, he wasn't a very finesse-type football player. He was physical, and uh, that's the way I tried to, you know, play the game when I played. Is, uh, you know, it's a very physical game. It's a very violent game, and I felt like it had to be played in such a, such a way. So I would say if, you know, I had a favorite player growing up, it probably would have been John Hammer. Very good. Now, um... What what happened after your college football career? Where did you go from there? Well, I signed with the Tampa Bay Bucks in 1985. Uh, they traded me to the Atlanta Falcons in '86, and then the Falcons released me prior to the start of the 1986 season. And uh, it was at that point that I decided I was ready to move on. I had some other opportunities to sign on with the other NFL teams, but I passed on that. Um, I had decided. At that point in time, that I was ready to pursue a career uh, as a professional wrestler. And absolutely. Now, is that when you started training? Was in the '86 to '87 range? Yeah, it was late '86 when I started training. And now you were. Uh, you, now you were uh -huh. trained by uh, uh, Vern Gagne and Fabulous Mula, correct? Yeah, I, I started out my training in Columbia Mula operating school here. It was uh, really more geared for girls. There's been a lot of uh, well-known lady wrestlers that have come out of there. Uh, very few guy wrestlers came out of there that really ever had much success. Uh, but I was fortunate that I did get some basic training there that I could, um, you know, continue uh, once I got to Minneapolis and, and went to work for Vern uh, 
on the two of some of the guys that Vern had up there that helped continue my training process. But the majority of it was done here in Columbia uh, at Newland School. Absolutely. Well, I couldn't think of too many people better to uh, to better to learn from. I've I've seen a lot of Moolah's work, and and she was an absolute beast in the ring. So anything she's teaching, I, I suggest anybody should have listened to. Well, she was a, she was a unique lady, and, and it's you know not a lot of guys, I'm sure, very few probably, uh, got their start training at a school that was geared more for women than it was guys. But that was just. You know, it's a time, the only option that I had. Right. And, uh, but uh, it was interesting being around Moolah and learning from her. Uh, she was a tough lady. And, of course, she had to be. She, uh, if you think back, uh, you know, a lot of the wrestling fans today, all they've ever known are, are the divas and the large number of ladies that are involved in wrestling today. But if you think back to the 50s when Moolah broke into the business, she was one of the very few women in the business. And so she was in a business that was dominated by men. And uh, so it had to be tough on her. She was a trailblazer and a groundbreaker. And uh, so she learned at an early age to take care of Moolah in a world dominated by men. So you can bet your bottom daughter she was a tough broad brother, I'm telling you. She, uh, she'd stand with any man and back any man down if she had to. Because that's just the way she had to handle herself throughout her entire career. Absolutely. Uh, so then you then you found yourself going to Minnesota and uh, under the tutelage of Vern and some of the guys up there. Who who were some of your uh, who were some of your guys helping you along up in Minnesota? Well, I was very fortunate that uh, the guy that spotted me uh, while working for Vern was Wahoo McDaniel. Wahoo was. Um, you know, at the tail end of his career, a wonderful, wonderful career, an iconic figure in our industry. Uh, and he was working for Vern. He was still working in the ring, but he was also uh, working in the office as well uh, with talent, talent development, evaluating talent. And uh, while well, he still kept his permanent home in Charlotte, and he had come down to Charlotte for a few weeks, and uh, Mula was running a show here in Columbia, so he drove down from Charlotte to Columbia. And Mula had him booked on uh, the show. He worked main event that night, and that's when I met Wahoo. And uh, he really took a liking to me. And uh, so a few weeks later, when he was back in Minneapolis uh, working for Vern again, he told Vern about me. Uh, I got a call from Vern. And a short time later, I was in Minneapolis. I had an opportunity there to be around some other great talent that I was able to learn from, like Vern himself, uh, his son Greg Ganya, and of course Wahoo, and another unbelievable talent, uh, Ray the Crippler Stevens. And as a matter of fact, Ray and Wahoo uh, were renting a house together in Minneapolis, and uh, so I spent countless hours with Ray and Wahoo and, uh, and learning from those guys and picking their brain and just... I was like a sponge. Anything that those guys could pass on to me, I was trying to soak it up. But that's uh, two pretty good guys right there to learn from, in Ray Stevens and Martin McDaniel. Absolutely, and uh, you know we're still still waiting for for Ray Stevens to to sneak his way into the to the Hall of Fame. I thought he might have had a had a shot at it last year. Um, well, I tell you, Wahoo needs to be there too. It's a crime shame that, that both of them aren't there. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. They both should have already been there. When you see some of the people that go in, and I'm not knocking anybody, uh, but, I mean, listen, I worked with Larry Zabisco. I like Larry Zabisco. And, uh, but Larry Zabisco gets in over Wahoo and Ray Stevens. That's, that's sinful. Indeed. That's uh, true words couldn't be spoken. Uh, so now, so now you get you get done with your training, and now you make your debut in 1988. You're with the American Wrestling Association. Looks like you were there for a few years. Tell us a little bit about getting your getting your legs wet in, in the rings for the first few times. Well, I had, I had other. That was my first big break. I had other. I'd worked in other uh, for other companies along the way, um, and uh, I had spent some time working in Mid South. Um, uh, you know, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry Lawler uh, before I went to the AWA, but that was my first big break was the AWA. Well, let's, and, let's, uh, uh, let's go on and tell me, tell me about working in Mid-South. Well, I 
worked there. Uh, they brought me in, and I worked up under a couple of uh, a couple of characters. Uh, I started out working as the Dreamweaver, uh, and there's been sort of a constant theme throughout my career, and it seems to be a mask. Uh, when I first broke into the business, training for Mula, uh the guy that I broke into the business was a, was a buddy of mine, and you can see him on our DVD, on our documentary. Uh, he's on there. Along with Greg Gagne, uh, Marcus Bagwell, Dan Hansen, Bruce Pritchard, George Rogers, a lot of great guys on that DVD that you can see uh, that uh, gave up some of their time to be a part of our project. But uh, anyway, she put he and I up under mass. We wrestled as a mass. We wrestled as a mass grapplers. Um, So now you you were saying she put you guys in under masks, had you as the masked grapplers. Yeah, and um, so it was shortly thereafter that's when Wahoo spotted me, went to work for Vern, uh, came back to Columbia, and things were sort of slow in the AWA at the time, and uh, so I had to stop in Mid-South. Uh, wrestled there, Lawler come up with the idea of putting the mask on me there, and uh, called the Dreamweaver. And then shortly thereafter, they teamed Scott Siner and I up together as a tag team, and we were called the Wrestling Machines. And again, we had masks, white masks, and white tights. So uh, we stayed there for a few months and worked in the South Territory as well. Awesome. And so from uh, from there was the move up to the AWA or any stops in between? No, I, I worked some independent stuff, but uh, you know, the next stop for me was back to the AWA. Right. And when you got to the AWA, who who was your uh, what was your character there? Well, that's when they decided, uh, you know, to put the trooper. Again, uh, they told me, and I started working as the trooper, and that was really my first break as far as uh, you know being on nationwide TV. Of course, we did local TV there in mid south, uh, but uh, when I went back to the AWA, uh, they had that ESPN. Slot Monday through Friday from four to five o'clock. So that was my first really big break as far as being exposed to a nationwide TV audience and uh, working as a trooper. So now, uh, was the trooper was this a idea of yours, or was this something they had come up with you, or did you have any influence in the trooper? Yeah, they came to me with the idea. Um, I explained it in the DVD. There was one of the guys that worked for Mula. Uh He worked. Uh, his full-time job was a deputy sheriff. He worked movie shows on the weekends, and uh, he would send a tape up to Wahoo, hoping that maybe he could get a chance to go to work up there. And uh, they really weren't that particularly impressed with him, but they liked that cop-type character. So they approached me about that, and that's when we came up with the idea of the trooper. Now, uh, now, if if my memory serves me correct, once you uh, defeated your opponent, you would write them a ticket, correct? Yeah, I went to the ring with with the uh, Smokey the Bear hat, the sunglasses, the uh, belt, the handcuffs, the ticket book, the flashlight, all the things that a uh, a patrolman, a trooper would normally have on his beam. And then after the match was over, I would write a ticket and leave it on my opponent's forehead and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, and also on the way to the ring, I would hand out plastic badges to all the kids uh, that I passed as I went uh, as I made my way to, to the ring. Awesome. Now, now let me ask you a question. Now, this is going to encompass a little more than, than just this section of your career. Um, most of the work I'm familiar, you know, you've always been a face. Have you have you always been a face, or have you had many times this heel, or did you just prefer working as a face? No, I don't know that it was really a preference thing. I think it was just the way things always worked out. Um, you know, really, at every stop along the way, especially after I had, you know, become an established... Uh, um, I have no idea. I don't know if that's on my end or not. But uh, uh, yeah, I don't have a clue. So, anyways, you you were working as the trooper. Um, you said just kind of fell in your lap the way everything 
Phil, as far as being a face the majority of the time, no real preference there? Yeah, it did. I mean, any of those characters, any character can, you can turn it and, and, and turn it into a real character. But uh, everything I did just lent itself to, to you know, to working ba- work babyface characters my entire career, really, especially, you know, once I became an established name. Right on. Now you won. Uh, you won your fair share of gold there in the AWA. Uh, looks like you won a few few tag titles and things. Who Who were your partners? Who were your early partners that you won your championships with? Well, I had a, uh, Paul Diamond and I tagged together. Um, you know, people wrestling fans can remember Paul Diamond with Pat Tanaka's Bad Company as DDP as their manager. Uh, but they put Paul and I together for a while. Uh, but then I won my tag the last. Matter of fact, we were the last tag team champions in the AWA uh, with DJ Peterson and myself. And uh, we took the belt from the Destruction Crew, uh, Mike Enos and, and, uh, and Wayne Bloom. All righty. Now, um, <clears throat> now, you moved on from there in 91 going into through 92. You joined with the Global Wrestling Federation. Now, is this where you actually first came into the Patriot character? Um, the AWA folded its doors, as, as, as everyone knows, and went out of business. And I um, was approached by the Global Wrestling Federation, just an upstart company. And um, they ended up with that, came, that, that same slot on ESPN, Monday through Friday from 4 to 5 o'clock. And uh, they were going to do everything out of Dallas, Texas at the Sportatorium. And, uh, you know, they were just at first a TV company, and really that's all they ever were. Uh, we did run a few shows along the way, but a few house shows, but for the most part it was a TV company. And uh, they were going to film everything out of the sports room in Dallas, Texas. And um, so they sent me a ticket to fly out for the very first TV taping ever that they were going to have. And literally just a few hours before the start of the show, um, I was approached about doing the, uh, the Patriot character by uh, Joe Petticino and Bill Eady, the two guys that were in charge of talent for the Global Wrestling Federation. Absolutely. Now, of course, everybody out there knows Bill Eady as, uh, you know, the mass superstar and, and of course, uh, Axe from Demolition in his WWE days or WWF days. Um, so when you first... What did you think of the Patriot character when you first got it? I, I've always thought of you as someone who I always assumed that you really embraced the character. I don't know if it was just me, you know, just thinking of it from a fan's perspective, uh, but you really played out the part really well. So I've always assumed that you were a big Patriot in life. Well, I am. Um, uh, this country means a lot to me. And um, uh, I love it. And I know it's not a perfect country, but um, I consider myself to be very patriotic. And uh, I've always prided myself in, in having a, uh, a good sense of the history of our country and what our country was founded on and what made it a great country. And uh, even today, I'm very politically um, uh, inclined. I keep up with things. I, I just don't see how anyone could sit by and not be in tuned and informed of what's going on in your country. Of all right, so you, you pay a lot of you pay a lot of attention to politics. You're very concerned for the country. I agree with you on the fact. I just don't feel there's enough people out there that that show enough um, show enough support or enough you know give a rat's ass. Excuse my excuse my language there about the state of the country nowadays, and, and it is kind of wondering how some people can just walk around so blindly and not paying attention. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down a rabbit trail here, and, and, you know, you can reel me back in, and we can obviously, uh, we'll get back on point here in a minute, but, uh, you know, this, I hope you include this in our podcast, that uh, to me, it is an, it's a privilege to be able to vote. And I think that there, there should be some kind of test that call it just because you breathe and you can fog up a mirror doesn't, in my opinion, mean that you should be able to go and affect the outcome of a country. I think you should have some kind of basic knowledge of the way your country works, the way it runs, what makes it go, who your senators are, 
I'm not saying you've got a name every congressman in your state, but there's only two senators per state that represent us at the federal level. And if you don't know them, and if you don't know certain basic things about this country, then we need to set home because we're in a mess that we're in today because of the uninformed dummy that can go out and pull a, pull a lever in a voting booth. Right, right on. That's, uh, I mean, that's very true. A lot of uninformed, uninformed voters out there, and and I agree with it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt to uh, to have some kind of form or test, and you know, I mean, we make people who come to this country, uh, you know, they got to take a test before they can get their citizenship, and and maybe that's something we need to do for for the guys we already got living here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it, it's something I'm very passionate about, and. Uh, I mean, we're, there's a lot of problems we have today because just millions upon millions, really, of idiots go into a, a voting box and just blindly cast a vote, and they have no idea why they're casting it. And, and it just, I mean, and you're talking about things that affect our everyday life and the future of this country. So, absolutely. Amen. <laughs> right on. So, uh, well, we'll get back on to the wrestling here because now when you were in the Global Wrestling Federation, uh, you won a tournament to become their first television title holder. Correct. All right. And then, uh, and then soon after that, you won their North American Heavyweight Championship. I did. I had both titles at one time. Okay, so you're kind of the uh, the forefather of all this big controversy today with with a couple of guys floating on TV with two titles and everyone saying they're ripping each other off. So you, you're kind of one of the originators of the two-title deal. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. I had both uh, the North American and the uh, TV title uh, for a while and uh, eventually gave one up just to focus on being the North American heavyweight champ. Absolutely. And so now from there, you went to WCW. Tell me tell me about uh, getting your opportunity with WCW. Well, actually, I went from global to all Japan. Oh, okay, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I went from all Japan to global. I mean, from global to all Japan, and that was my first, not my first. I'd been to Japan one time as a trooper. I think back around 89 or 90, and, and it just didn't go well. And, again, I go into great detail about that in the documentary uh, about the struggles I had my first trip to Japan. But uh, I got fortunate and got the opportunity to go back again. And this time as the Patriot, um, I was more experienced, more seasoned. I just had more ring time under my belt. Went back as a different character and uh, really, really just, uh, I mean, they pushed me like crazy. And uh, just uh, the fans were, were crazy about the character and uh, immediately just stepped into one of the top spots there uh, in what I consider to be the greatest roster of talent that I ever worked with at All Japan roster. And uh, I was there a couple of years and then went on the WCW after All Japan. Right. So now you said the fans really embraced your character in, in Japan. They did, yeah. Um, working for All Japan, uh, there was not a heel babyface mentality in anything we did. That wasn't the type of uh, program that Mr. Barber ran. That wasn't the way. All right, so we so we get into All Japan, and there's no really faces or heels or any, any of the way they work with the All Japan. No, it's just, you know, clean finishes, one, two, three finishes. Uh, there's no babyface. There's no heel or TV show. There's no interviews. There's no managers, there's no valets, there's no outside interference, there's no double DQs, there's no disqualification. So none of that lends itself. That type of work doesn't lend itself to a real babyface atmosphere. So they're just sort of that type of atmosphere within the uh, the following of all Japan pro wrestling. Awesome. So it's, so it's just straight straight up wrestling there. None of the not a lot of the theatrics besides what you guys do in the ring. Correct. Absolutely. Awesome, awesome stuff. So then you found yourself in WCW, World Championship Wrestling. Correct. Uh, uh, oh no, I was I was gonna say how'd you how'd you get your start there? Well, I uh, Eric Bischoff was, was now in charge at WCW, and I knew Eric from my AWA days. He was our TV guy, 
when I worked for the AWA, and he's now running WCW. So Greg Gagne is also there. He's one of the many members of the booking committee. And uh, those guys contacted me and flew me into Atlanta for a set down and, and uh, spent a few hours with Eric and, 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 and Greg talking to them. And uh, in a short, short three or four hour meeting, Hammer had a three year contract and went to work for them. Awesome. And how long were you in the, you were in uh, World Championship Wrestling for about a year or? No, I was there about two years. I signed a three year deal, stayed about two years. I didn't fulfill the entire three years. And again, I don't want to give everything away. But on the DVD, uh, uh, I go into great detail as to why I didn't uh, fulfill that last year on my contract. There were some issues between Bischoff and I. Uh, they came to a head, uh, and we parted ways. But I spent two of the three years that I had signed with or signed for there in WCW. Absolutely. Great reason to pick up the DVD and uh, to find out all the great uh, juicy controversy that went on there that I'm sure everybody's interested in. So after your stint in WCW, you made a return back to uh, All Japan and wrestled there with... I did. And, and how did that go? You were there for a few years and uh, tagged back well, with, with Johnny Ace and Steve Williams. Is that correct? Well, I, I tagged back uh, uh, with uh, Johnny Ace and, and Kobashi, one of the top baby faces there in, in All Japan on the Japanese side. Um, I think the greatest worker that I've ever been around. Anybody that's familiar with the business, I think, would have to agree that one of the greatest workers that ever lived is Kabashi. So I had the, um, uh, had the good fortune of teaming up with him and Johnny Ace, and uh, they put the three of us together in sort of a power trio. And um, and I'd, I'd worked with Jackie Fulton there my first time around. Uh, Jackie was the Eagle. Uh, of course, I was the Patriot. But my second stand, it was me and Ace, and then me, Ace, and Kabashi. Right on. So then from all Japan, you find yourself where where I'm the most familiar with you myself, and that was in the World Wrestling Federation. Was, was this That's something correct. that you had, I know a lot of guys I've talked to, you know, that have been in the WWE, that was like kind of their, their pinnacle or what they thought they wanted to reach at the time. Was that a big, a big deal for you? Was making it to the WWE or... It was because it was, you know, worked at as the most glamorous company uh, in the industry. Uh, and, and certainly here in the States, it, it was, and it had worldwide appeal to it as well. I mean, just the reach of the WWF, now WWETV is just phenomenal. And uh, just the power that it has. And, and um, so, yeah, I mean, I think any of us would have looked at it as the pinnacle of your career able to work into WWF when you consider all the great talent that's been through there. Um, so, yeah, I was excited about the opportunity to, to work there. And absolutely. Now, you had a uh, very memorable program with uh, the hitman, Bret Hart. Of course, he was leading the Hart, the Hart Foundation at that time. We're playing the Hill role, you know, very anti-American. And that's uh, that's where you, you were brought in. Yeah, I just dropped right into it perfect. It was just... Uh, a perfect fit. Here comes this flag-waving American that's basically draped himself in the flag, red, white, and blue boots, red, white, and blue tights, red, white, and blue mask, and I come in waving the flag. And his perfect timing, they had turned Brett uh, Hill, and he's on his anti-American campaign uh, along with the rest of the Heart Foundation. So it was just a perfect, perfect timing for this you know, patriotic character to come walking right in the middle of that. Awesome. So, um, now what was it? What was it like working with Bret Hart? I enjoyed working with Bret. Bret and I got along good. We had great matches together. Uh, and Bret was all serious business in the ring. Um, you know, a lot of the guys that uh, he, he reminded me of what I was used to in Japan. Uh, when you got in the ring, it was about your, the believability of your product, of the match, of what you were doing. Uh, you know, it was stiff, stiff work. It was snug work. Uh, in Japan, and Brent was the exact same way. So it was just like, uh, you know, what I had been accustomed to in all Japan pro wrestling. So it wasn't anything that took me any time to have to adjust to or anything like that. I just, it was a new transition leaving all Japan and working with Brent. Now, uh, now I believe I'd seen in an interview you had recently, Brent Hart was, was what you considered your favorite feud? 
who once stood out of the house it, um, you know, just the nature of it. I mean, that's just a perfect thing, um, you know, for the Patriots to be feuding with an anti-American character. And their wrestling's always done a good job of, of, uh, of putting a patriotic character, whether it be Sergeant Slaughter with the Iron Sheik or, uh, you know, the Lake Express or Kurt Angle or Jim Dudley. I mean, you can always, and it'll always be that way in wrestling. There's always going to be room for a baby face uh, patriotic character that can be pitted against a, uh, an American bashing heel. And it was just the perfect fit. And, uh, and I enjoyed working against Brent. And we could have done a lot more with it. There's no telling how long that thing could have gone. But unfortunately for me, I was dealing with injuries that were kind of very soon in my career. And uh, we just weren't able to carry it out longer. We could have done a lot more with it had it not been for the injuries that I was dealing with. Absolutely. Now, I know you're very vocal about speaking out to the younger guys and the guys and girls out there that are wanting to get into the business about, you know, maintaining their health and things like that. What would you like to uh, say? Because I do talk to a lot of the young guys starting out in the business. What What's the advice that they could expect from, from a legend such as the Patriot to them? Well, your body is your moneymaker. That's what allows you to go out every night and and entertain people and to fulfill your dream. I mean, I'm sure that everybody today making a living as a professional wrestler was just like me. He starts out with a dream. Uh, you put a lot of hard work, a lot of effort into it. You're able to be part of a very small fraternity. There are very few people on the face of the earth that at any point in time are able to make a living full-time as a professional wrestler. And to be a part of that small group of people is a special thing. And the way you take, and you, you have to take care of your body, it's your body that allows you to go out and do that. It's a very physical business. So therefore, take care of that body. Be careful put you, what you put into it. Be careful what you do with it. Protect it in the ring. Certainly, you want to go out there night after night and entertain the fans and do things that look good. But you need to pick your spots to do those things, and you need to realize that in order to have a long career, you've got to be healthy, and you've got to take care of that body. It's your moneymaker. So treat it right from every aspect, from what you put into it to what you do to it. And that would be my advice to him. And I think it's good advice and advice that needs to be heeded and, you know, taken to heart. Absolutely. So I got a couple questions here from from a member of Powerbomb Nation. One of our viewers out there submitted a couple questions. Uh, now the first one actually comes from a gentleman by the name of Kevin Cordell. Uh, he is actually a resident of South Carolina and he is transplanted up here to the Bluegrass State. Uh, he wants to know what is your favorite memory as a player or a fan from Bryce Stadium? Well, my favorite memory from williams Bryce Stadium is got to be there, too. Uh, there's a lot of great memories in 1980 when George Rogers won the Heisman, but my greatest memories from williams Bryce are 1984. Um, well, let me back up a little bit. Number one, 1983, when we beat Southern Cal at williams Bryce Stadium, and it was the first time I'd ever seen the upper deck of the stadium sway. Uh, we were beating them, I mean, we were beating the wheels, all the brakes off of them, and it was so loud in the stadium that you could look up to the upper, upper deck and the, the student body set up in the upper deck, and they were jumping up and down, and the upper deck of the stadium was actually swaying. Now, it's designed to do that. You know, you, you can't have that rigid form with a structure like that in case of an earthquake or something It's designed to give a little bit. Right. That was my one of my first great memories was to see the stadium actually sway. But then in '84, when we beat Georgia at Williams Bryce Stadium, and later that year we beat Florida State, we were ranked fifth in the country. They were ranked third, I think, or maybe seventh. But anyway, we were both in the top ten, and we beat them pretty good at Williams Bryce Stadium. Uh, it was the ABC game of the week, and uh, that was probably my most fond memory of playing in Williams-Bryce Stadium was the 84 Georgia and Florida State game. All right, right on. And uh, he had a follow-up question, and that was, any regrets being a masked wrestler? No, it was a masked wrestler. It was putting on that mask that shot my career to, 
to where it was able to go, so I have no regrets whatsoever about that. Um, again, I go into greater detail about this in, in, in the documentary and in the DVD. Uh, when I first went to work for the WWF, uh, Vince wasn't very convinced, can I say, that a masked character could get over it. And uh, I go into detail about our conversations about that and our meetings about that. And the people that were on my side and the allies that backed me and thought that a masked character could get over And, of course, we see the end result of it. So no regret about being a masked character. Absolutely, that is great stuff. Now, uh, now this is a personal question that I've had since we've had our had our little conversation here. Out of all the masks that you've wore, which which one's been your favorite? Well, I've had so many of them that I, I can't even remember a lot of them. But uh, <laughs> there was one that there was one that, that across the back of it had Patriot written out, and uh, I like that. Um, and then I'm sort of partial to the to the old fashioned ones, the original Patriot masks, the red, white, and blue ones. Um, I like those. Uh, but then there were many others that had a lot of wild color combinations to them that I liked. But uh, I would say the one that literally had the word Patriot written across the back was was one of my favorites, along with some of the just the traditional red, white, and blue ones. And um, I did have one that had a Confederate flag across the back that I liked as well. Right on. Uh, so, so Dell, we'll we'll go ahead and, and wrap up a little bit here. But but Dell, the Powerbomb Nation, where where can they interact with you? Where can they pick up your DVD? Where can they find you on YouTube and Facebook? You know, go ahead and put yourself over. Well, we've got several places on Facebook. Uh, you can go to just Dell Wilkes. Then there's Dell the Patriot Wilkes, the official page uh, that we've got. Uh, you can also go to uh, Twitter, at Dell Wilkes. It's very simple, at D-E-L-W-I-L-K-E-S, uh, and join us on Twitter. And then, of course, you can uh, keep up with upcoming events, uh, memorabilia that you can buy. You can buy masks. You can buy uh, gear. You can buy um, uh, T-shirts, pictures, and, of course, most importantly, the DVD at www.dellthepatriotwilks.com, and it's behind the mask, Dell the Patriot Wilkes. And uh, there's a lot of great stories, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. Like I said earlier, uh, many other great superstars in the wrestling business that you'll see on the DVD as well that took part of this project, that spent time, sat down, and were interviewed for it. And uh, there's a lot of great fun stories. And uh, a lot of good things on there, too, that can be used as life lessons about some of the tremendous difficulties I went through when I got out of the wrestling business, uh, what that led me to, some of the dark, dark moments that it led me to, but also about being able to come out the other side of where we're at today. So just a great two hours that I think every wrestling fan should see. Excellent. And of course, I'm going to encourage once again, every member of Powerbomb Nation, get out there and get this DVD. Check it out. Three disc. I guarantee you're going to be entertained. Uh, now, Dale, there, there is a person. I've never had the chance to interview anybody that I could actually talk to, to that related a little more to me than you do, because you yourself are in the car business as well. How long How long have you been in the car business? I've been in the Nissan dealership for a little over 10 years now. And, uh, yeah, I, um, I wasn't sure what I was going to do when I got out of the business. My career ended rather abruptly uh, with just a series of, uh, you know, devastating injuries and went through just a lot, a lot of surgeries and rehabilitation and just a lot of other difficult times after I got out of the wrestling business and had to get out because of those injuries. And um, so I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I uh, had a buddy of mine that was in the car business, and he said, hey, okay, give it a shot. If you don't like it, go do something else. And, uh, of course, 10 years later, I'm still there. All right on. I've been uh, I've been peddling Toyotas for about 15 years now, and uh, when I read the article and I found out that you you were at a, a car salesman, I you know I kind of marked out a little bit. If I came into South Carolina and bought my car from the Patriot, you know, I I would have been a total mark. You know, autograph whole nine yards. Uh, have you found that that's something that actually helps you, or you know, of course you're a South Carolina legend down there as well. I mean, are you one of the guys that I'd be out there pounding a lot with, or do you get to just sit back at this point? 
pretty fortunate that, that uh, I don't have to pound a lot. I am. I have got my cubicle and my office decorated with a lot of wrestling pictures. Uh, I've got some of my action figures hanging up. I've got some of my wrestling pictures hanging up. Uh, I've also got some of my Gamecock pictures hanging up because, as you very well know, in the card business, a lot of people come onto the lot or they walk into a dealership with their guard up. You know, they're just very standoffish. They don't want to loosen up. And so you need something to break the ice. And when somebody can walk into my office and see pictures of me and Bob Hurt together, or me and Muhammad Ali, or an action figure, or the Patriot, uh, uh, the Patriot of Stan Hansen, or Bob, or any list of pictures that I've got there, then that helps break the ice. And they open up and they start asking questions about that. And next thing you know, you're able to build rapport with them. You're able to get their mind off a car altogether and just start talking about something totally different. And they feel like they can trust you. And they open up to you. So that helps tremendously. But also, too, just being a guy that was an all-state high school football player uh, here in South Carolina in in the town of Columbia that I work in, playing college football in the same town, being an All-American at the University of South Carolina. So all that helps, and and it made it a lot easier for me, whereas a lot of other guys that would have to get out there every day and catch up sat on the lot. Absolutely. So, well, Dale, unless you do, you have any parting words for the Powerbomb Nation? Well, I just appreciate you having me on tonight, and I want to get the word out to each and every one of them um, to visit us on Facebook, uh, on Twitter, and most importantly, uh, get a copy of the DVD. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. It's just a wonderful story. It, uh, there was a lot of great, uh, a lot of great matches, a lot of great people that I've met in my career that I've worked with in my career. And not only will you see me, but you can also see these other superstars of the wrestling business. So uh, I encourage each and every one of you to get you a copy of it. I'll autograph it and send it back to you. Absolutely. Well, you can guarantee that I'm going to be getting my copy, and uh, I definitely want it autographed from you, sir. And uh, next time I find myself down in South Carolina, I'll hit you up, and uh, maybe we'll get some lunch or something. Sounds good. And also, too, just keep the people of Columbia in your thoughts and prayers. Uh, most of our city was underwater today. We got close to probably 15, 17 inches of rain over the weekend. So there are an awful lot of people uh, that their homes are gone. They're washed away. Their vehicles are place of businesses. Not only will they wake up in the morning with nowhere to go to work, but they'll do so in a, in a place that they're not familiar with because their homes are gone as well. So just ask that your listeners keep those people here in Columbia, South Carolina. Your thoughts and prayers. Absolutely, we'll send out many thoughts and prayers to uh, to everyone devastated by the by the horrible weather I've seen, where where a lot of the Outer Banks and North and South Carolina getting hammered here. So definitely keep our prayers open for you guys out that way. Dell, thank you so much for spending your time, and thank you for being so patient through our our audio difficulties. Uh, but I really, really thank you so much for your time, and have a wonderful night. Okay, man, I appreciate you having me on. Have a good night. All righty, you too, and God bless. You too, brother. Bye.